a provincial vaccine passport. This week, four days before a federal election, Jason Kenney announces considerable new restrictions, including a not-called-that vaccine passport. Plus, mayors and mayoral candidates have endorsed opposing Mill Woods candidates. And an update on city vaccinations. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 147, where we don't have a very special guest on this week. So we get to do whatever we want off the top. But once again, I have not prepped anything. Well, you're kind of like the province in that case. <laughs> Absent any jokes that I want to make here, we'll go right on to the rapid fire segment. The city of Edmonton and the Edmonton Police Service have chosen to recognize September 30th as the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, as declared by the federal government. Both the city and the police will be giving employees a day of leave with pay and encouraging employees to reflect on their shared history and its impact on Indigenous peoples. The provincial government, however, still does not plan to acknowledge the holiday, and when asked about the discrepancy, Premier Jason Kenney said that, like with masking requirements in global pandemics that require collective action, holidays that encourage a country to reflect and reconcile as one are best implemented in an ad hoc, municipality-by-municipality manner. A shortage in drivers is causing up to 90 minutes of delay on some Edmonton school bus routes. Speaking to the issue, a spokesperson for Golden Arrow, one of the contracted bus companies, said he was confused. He said, quote, We've offered drivers what we offer them every year. Low wages, part-time work, minimal benefits that can only be accessed via an extensive three-week training course. But for some reason, we're not seeing a huge uptake. This year, we've even offered more bonuses, including the privilege of getting to sit in a tight fuselage packed to the brim with unvaccinated bodies. And yet... We're still not able to find willing subjects. I mean, I mean workers. I blame Serb. With September 13th rolling around, Edmontonians began spotting a deluge of municipal election signs on the boulevards by main roads as, under election sign guidelines, it once again became legal for candidates with poorly supported campaigns to try and trick Edmontonians into thinking they're doing well by throwing $5 at a field. Money may not grow on trees, but at least in the period between Labor Day and mid-October, green spaces grow wasted money. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by the Business Council of Alberta. If you are passionate about Alberta and its future, check out The Brief, an Alberta Better podcast series presented by the Business Council of Alberta. Co-hosts of The Brief, Scott Crockett and Brittany Brander, talk to Alberta's business leaders, innovators, disruptors, and entrepreneurs about the big challenges Albertans are facing, from unemployment to childcare to mental health and economic diversification. They also celebrate the stories of growth, innovation, and prosperity, and discover bold ideas that aim to make life better for Albertans. You can find new episodes of The Brief on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at businesscouncilab.com slash Podcast. That's businesscouncilab.com slash Podcast. New episodes drop every other Tuesday. So Mac, there's a federal election going on, and it's about to conclude, and it's interesting because the conclusion of the federal election signals what I'd call the really real start date of the municipal election. That's right. The close of nominations in this unusual year in which nominations have been open ever since January uh, is noon on September 20th, the same day that the federal election will take place. So we go right from the federal election into the municipal one, and 
You know, I'm not sure how many people are going to care about municipal election stuff until that's done. This isn't a federal election podcast, but just taking a cursory glance at some of the polling data and, you know, polls be polls, but let's operate under the assumption that they're correct. (laughs) It kind of looks like the federal election isn't going to change much. We're probably going to come out of the federal election with the same party forming government with an approximately same number of seats. The big fear I have and I hope this isn't a real fear, but you never know, is if Canadians were asked to go to a federal election during a pandemic uh, with many parties arguing this is an unnecessary election, and the result of that narratively unnecessary election is that nothing changes, I can only assume that's going to depress turnout for the municipal election a month later. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. It's funny though, right? Every time I hear somebody say, calling an election that didn't need to be called any party in the leadership position at that time probably would have done the same thing, right? I think we were going to find ourselves in an election one way or another. So what will it mean for the municipal election? It could mean a depressed turnout for any number of reasons. It could just be that people are electioned out and they're sick of it. But the other potential impact is something you mentioned. So candidates in the municipal election have until noon on September 20th to register And we will know the final list of candidates who are running a couple of days later, noon on September 22nd. Currently, there's about 78 or so that are uh, registered to run for councillor or mayor. Uh, But they have until noon in between that on the 21st to withdraw their nominations. And there's usually a few people that when it comes to this time decide, actually, I don't really want to run. We've already seen actually one or two candidates drop out who had registered earlier in the year. But that made you think about something else that might be connected to the federal election. All these PPC candidates stepping up to run, they're going to lose. But are we going to get our slew of fringe crazies in the municipal election? Because it happens every election. There's always the candidates that would be joke candidates if it was only a little bit more funny. Mm -hmm. But they, you know, you know exactly who I'm talking about when they sign up to run. Are we going to see that overflow from the federal election? And We would have thought no, because the federal election and the uh, nomination deadline happen on the same day. However, like you just mentioned, if someone running in the federal election was hedging their bets, they could file their nomination papers on September 20th, go vote, watch the election coverage that night. And if they don't win, they uh, keep their nominations in for city council. If they do win, they just withdraw the next day before noon and everything's good. They've hedged their bets and they've got another election to run. And they're already in election mode. So what's another city election? And this is this is legal. They could do this. They could absolutely do this. I see no reason not to. And plus, because the overlap in signs, they wouldn't even need to take down their federal election signs because now it's they're still the same name. They're running for municipal elections. They might go around with some stickers and change uh, their ward to... Get uh, rid of the party name or something. I mean... Do they need to? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess not. It's pretty obvious, right? I don't know if we'll see any candidates do this, but, you know, if they do, it'd be funny and I would enjoy that. We don't have just baseless speculation about the election, though. Um, Taproot's been doing uh, some actual work in the field and they've got a candidate survey out and I've seen a bunch of results 
roll in? Yeah, we've got uh, well over 50% now, which we're happy about. So uh, there are more than 40 uh, finalized now. So candidates that have answered the entire survey, they've locked in their answers. They've made a little pitch to voters, and those are now publicly available at edmonton.tapri.vote. And we've been uh, sharing those every so often in the pulse, kind of rounding them up by by ward. Uh, there's another good chunk of candidates who are working on the survey. They're kind of midway. And then there's a smaller number that we just have not yet been able to reach. Mike Nickel, I know you're listening to this. We have evidence now that someone on your staff has listened to our podcast. Would love for you to fill out the survey. We are uh, gathering all those responses. And then next week, after nominations close, after we have the final list of candidates, we're going to open up the survey to voters to answer the same questions and then be able to get matched with um, candidates based on, you know, topics or individual questions, and certainly in the ward that you're that you're in. Our hope is that more voters will know more about their candidates and be able to make a better decision going into the election on October 18th. I know that uh, the City of Edmonton organization is trying to make better decisions about what they're doing with their staff. And one of the ways they're making that decision is by collecting vaccine status information. And now you and I both thought it was mandatory for staff to disclose their vaccine status by a particular date. And we got the data back and it has more than zero city employees with their vaccine status undisclosed. Yeah, they released the city released the data on September 16th. Um, There are 86% of city employees who have responded to the vaccine disclosure survey. So 14% did not respond. Evidently, the city plans to use this data not to fire those people, but to inform the decisions they're going to make about what other restrictions or rules they need to put in place for workplace safety. And they're expected to share more information about that next week. Uh, the overall numbers, though, 72% of people are fully vaccinated, 4% are partially vaccinated, and 9% stated on the disclosure survey that they are not vaccinated. So not too dissimilar from provincial figures, really. Looking at the pie chart, I said, well, you know, if this is a bisection of the population and with a sample size of 15,000 people, I can't see why it wouldn't be a pretty effective representative sample of the provincial numbers. You know, 72% fully vaccinated sounds about right, which makes you think that that 14% with no submission I think we know which bucket we can put them in. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> There's no under 12 year olds working at the city, right? So it can't be that they're not eligible. And like when I saw the 9% that said they're not vaccinated, my initial comment to you was like, well, look, the city administration is making it very clear what their intention is with this disclosure. Why do you open up this survey and think, I'm going to click not vaccinated. What's your end game there as a city employee? Because like, if I'm in that position, I'm like, well, shoot, this survey is presented to me. I better go get vaccinated so I can click yes. <laughs> like but it's only a matter of time until there's some sort of restriction imposed on my employment here. Maybe I should do something about that. Yeah, no, for sure. This is gathering some data to make an inevitable decision on exactly what the city is going to do. Uh, council made a few changes to give the city more power to do stuff in the future because council is gone, I would say, is the appropriate thing to call them during this election period. But they passed some bylaw amendments to give the city manager a bit more power. The end of last week, it was their last week of scheduled meetings. They had another one and they decided to make some minor, well, a couple of minor and one larger amendment to 
the masking bylaw. They changed it to better align with the provincial rules. So if you're a performer, you just need to be separated by a barrier or a certain amount of space. You don't have to have a mask. And then same for people at places of worship, not the congregation, but the people doing the music or whatever, the speaking. Um, the other thing they did in that bylaw that was really interesting is they granted more authorization to the city manager to make further exemptions to the mask mandate. So as long as he doesn't do something that's offside with whatever the province has set out, Andre Corbold now has the power to continue to make changes and to grant additional exemptions without the need to recall city council. And so I thought that was kind of interesting because I wasn't sure, like, can you have another council meeting? Could the mayor decide that they had to have an emergency meeting in a couple of days and uh, and get enough people to come and, and have a meeting and, and have quorum? And could they continue to make decisions? I saw uh, St. Albert Mayor Kathy Heron tweeted about this, actually, following the province's announcements on Wednesday this week about the not vaccine passport and the rest of it, uh, that she was tweeting at her, her colleagues on council to have them have a meeting so they could decide how the city of St. Albert should respond. And I, that kind of struck me as odd because... We're into an election period, no? We found out uh, St. Albert did actually have a meeting uh, at 9 a.m. this morning, and the councillors did vote to implement the uh, restriction implementation program for civic facilities. So they agreed to vaccine passport, which was the point of that meeting. Right. But, you know, it's a good question, and it appeals to the wonk in me. So I dug into the Local Authorities Election Act and the Municipal Government Act, and as far as I can tell from all of my readings... When you are elected to a local authority, so the city, you have a term of four years. Your term ends on election day when you're either reelected and have a new term or you're unseated. So until October 18th, all of these councillors and their mayor are still councillors and the mayor. And if they want to hold another meeting, they're perfectly fine to do that and set their own schedule. We just have a culture in the city of Edmonton of, you know, this month before the election, we're done, so we're campaigning, we're separating our business, which is probably in general a good idea. Yeah, I mean, in general, you don't want them going and making last minute, you know, major decisions right before an election in a way to perhaps try to influence the outcome of that election or something, right? That's not a good uh, look and we don't want that to happen. And that hasn't been the case. To say nothing of the fact, is, as you point out, that really most of them, at least the ones that want to continue on, are probably pretty busy campaigning and don't want to be doing that on top of the full-time city councilor job. So it makes sense that we don't normally do this. But that's very interesting that you were able to figure that out, that technically, if they wanted to, they could have called an emergency meeting to do something rather than do what they did, which is grant the city manager a little bit more power temporarily until the new council comes in. And I mean, honestly, I think the decision that council made was pretty prudent overall. You know, give the city manager the ability to babysit the house for this month while we're out campaigning. It seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to do, especially considering the context of, you know, for the majority of the pandemic, city council wasn't actually driving the bus per se. There was the emergency yeah. management committee, which was headed off by the acting city manager at that point, Adam Lachlan. So, you know, it's not unprecedented to have the city manager just make COVID-based decisions. Corbold said he would only use this new power under exceptional circumstances. And the for instance, in the news article that'll be linked in the show notes here is that if the province decided to introduce vaccine passports, they might need to make some changes. And of course, they decided this a few days before vaccine passports became a thing. 
way to tee up the transition there. Uh, the province implemented vaccine passports. On this point, I think like most people know about the vaccine passports. Yep. I think everyone got their phones buzzing with the emergency alert saying, pretty please acknowledge COVID restrictions and vaccine passports. I don't have a lot to say on this, except that I am very frustrated that having stayed inside for a year and a half, having got my double vaccine, even before most people were available because I'm one of those 2B fellows, like I did everything right. And now my friend's housewarming party, which would have been Friday evening, is canceled because there was more than one household present there. And I find that frustrated that all of us who are double vaccinated, who did everything right, are now once again paying the social price for people who just refuse to participate in society. Yeah, sorry, not sorry is what we heard this week, right? Mm -hmm. Continues to fall on the people that have been doing the, the, the right things from the beginning. The other frustrating part about it for me is we know from recent surveys that 75% of Albertans want a vaccine passport. And not only did we not get a vaccine passport, we got a restriction exemption program that is optional. <laughs> there's there's not a vaccine passport in the way that we have in other places. We're only just having the ability introduced to be able to print off some sort of a COVID-19 vaccination card to go along with this. You can't call it a vaccine passport in Alberta, heaven forbid. The thing on that that makes me so frustrated and sad, especially for the entrepreneurs, is look at all the abuse that business owners got for enforcing government mask mandates during the pandemic. There were plenty of retail workers and business owners that just didn't enforce mask mandate because of the abuse and vitriol that certain members of the population would hurl at them and in some right. cases violence. Imagine if that same person is enforcing, injecting something into this person's body. Like that's just a step above. And while I'm totally kosher with everyone getting vaccinated, it should not fall on a retail worker to enforce this. Yeah, no, for sure. I think a lot of businesses are quite worried about the reaction they're going to find uh, from people who are not just opposed to vaccines, but for whatever reason have made it part of their identity and it becomes a bigger thing and it becomes an affront to them. There's no way person on the front line of retail or, or hospitality should have to deal with that. At this point in time, we don't know precisely what the uh, vaccine passport, I'm calling it that. Jason Kenny, come at me if you want me to stop <laughs> calling it a vaccine passport. Well, you can't get, you can't do it. Sue me. So I don't know what the vaccine passport will look like in Alberta because there are still 90,000 people ahead of me in the My Health Alberta queue. The idea that the site providing the vaccine passport has a queue and only like a couple people can be on at one time. You know, that, that's a whole set of problems that we're not even going to dig into. But <laughs> we haven't seen what it looks like. But, you know, internally in my head, this vaccine passport looks a lot like the city of Edmonton exemption cards for a uh, mask mandate so that I can just build <laughs> another website, do mass forgeries of vaccine passports, embarrass some more politicians. You know, it it would track. It would track if the government of Alberta did something like that. I don't expect cryptographically signed QR codes. I expect my name, my birth date does have vaccine and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. And that would be on brand for you too, Troy. <laughs> uh, just in case the attorney general is listening right now. Well, no, that's the solicitor general in Alberta. Well, we don't have it? an attorney general, right? That's, yeah. yeah. Casey, if you're listening to this, I was speaking in jest about mass forgeries of vaccine passports. You can actually pursue me legally. So please don't. Just please don't. <laughs> Casey Madu is pretty local 
to me in the city with most of the UCP being outside of the Edmonton. And the city of Edmonton wants to enhance living more locally. Tapper did some reporting on 15-minute districts, which is this urbanist buzzword that we've heard a lot about that I'm hugely supportive of, that many candidates in the election are supportive of. But in conversations with councillors and administration, it became clear we didn't really know what everyone was talking about when everyone was saying 15-minute districts. So what, what did your reporting reveal on this? Yeah, Emily uh, Rendell-Watson on our team did a fantastic job digging into this and uh, learning more about what this means. So 15-minute city is the concept. This is the approach that everything that you need to do in your day-to-day should be accessible to you within a 15-minute something. Most places, like Paris and others, think about walking or cycling, rolling, that kind of thing. They're not thinking about driving or anything like that. And a lot of people were really excited when City Plan embedded this concept in it. And they talked about this idea of small towns in our big city. That's one of the goals of City Plan is to change the way that we build the city and change the way that we move around the city so that you don't need to get in your car and drive for 25 minutes to go do something that is just part of your day to day and should be nearer to you. So we dug into that because we were very curious about it. Lots of people who responded to the people's agenda were very curious about it. And what we learned and what Emily found in her reporting is that Edmonton is kind of taking inspiration from other places that have adopted the 15-minute city. And then we are Edmonton-fying it. Is that a word? We're, we're doing the, the usual Edmonton thing. We're kind of taking a really good urban planning concept and saying, but we have cars, man. <laughs> and so instead of a 15-minute city, it has become 15 15-minute districts. Unnecessarily confusing. And uh, as you pointed out, councillors who voted unanimously for city plan seem to have it in their minds that cars are a part of that. And we talked to the city about this, and you'll see in Emily's reporting that in Edmonton, as in a few other places, they do see cars as part of this 15-minute concept, at least initially. They will tell you that the longer-term plan here is that, of course, we build the city differently and there's less and less of a reliance. One of the goals for city plan is to you know, have more than 50% of our trips be active transportation rather than uh, by vehicle. Currently, it's less than 25%. If we could do those things, then the, the sort of true 15-minute city idea would become more real here in Edmonton. But initially, Edmonton is a car place with lots of roads, and it's going to be quite a challenge to get anywhere close to that. So there's two primary things that frustrate me about this. The first is that 15-minute cities is something that's understood around the world to mean something different than what the city of Edmonton is using it. So just use something different, you know? If I walk around and said, hey, everyone, look at my nice hat. Don't you love my hat? And I'm pointing to my jacket. (laughs) Don't say hat. Use the right word for things, please. So that's, you know, pedantically a little frustrating. But the most frustrating part is the context switching between driving and walking is absolutely massive. Right. The distance I can walk in 15 minutes and the distance I can drive in 15 minutes is so massively different that setting these districts for car-based travel really makes them completely inaccessible from a walking and rolling perspective. From my house over in Hazeldean, I can drive to West Edmonton Mall in like 15 minutes. West Edmonton Mall is not accessible to me in any way. I have to go on two freeways to get there. Yeah, you can get most of the way around the city in 15 minutes for sure. I have a feeling like there's a little bit of a bait and switch here, right? So 
your point about using the language. I mean, to be fair, lots of cities, Melbourne, Ottawa, Portland, or a few of the ones that Emily talks about in the story, have done something similar. They've said, oh, 15-minute city, what a great idea. And then they've done something slightly different. So Edmonton, I suppose, is not unique in that. But it does feel like a little bit of a bait and switch when this popular conception is that things are accessible not by car, but by walking and everything like that. I think stepping back a little bit with my wonkish council nerd hat on, this really, this plan, these districts are more about the sort of bureaucracy of urban planning than they are about, at least initially, than they are about radically transforming the city to make it possible to do things by foot within 15 minutes. What I mean by that is they're going from a neighborhood plan for all of the 200 plus residential neighborhoods to just 15 for these districts. And just like you point out that, you know, you can get to West Edmonton Mall in in 15 minutes by driving, you might live in one district and be able to walk to your daily need in another district. That's still okay. That's still a 15-minute city. That's the concept, right? But just because you're in a different district doesn't mean anything. And that's why I say that I think the districts part of this is really about simplifying the planning that happens at the city of Edmonton. One thing I'll say in support of the districts is there's looking at the map five or six different districts all within the mature neighborhood overlay so Mm -hmm. if this leads to a breaking up of the mature neighborhood overlay as an idea and we had talked in our zoning episode that seems to be an intention to end the mno i'm all good in that one other fear i have though is when you add cars to the 15 minute districts And you say, you know, we want everything to be accessible in 15 minutes by car. I do wonder if that doesn't create a perverse counter incentive. You know, if I want to access everything I need in 15 minutes by car, if it's too far away, what if you speed up car traffic? (laughs) (laughs) It's even simpler than that. It's just saying, you know, if cars are part of this, like the city's kind of primary point is that. Edmontonians should have choice. I think everybody can agree with that. You should have a choice. But if we're putting cars on equal footing with the others, it means that nothing will change. We will continue to spend way more money on roads than we do on active transportation. And I think what a lot of people found appealing about the idea of bringing the 15-minute city into city plan is that it wasn't about cars. And actually, the city plan language doesn't talk about cars. It talks about walking and rolling or cycling and rolling. Rolling to mean, you know, scooters and skateboards and other things, right? It doesn't talk about driving. That's where the bait and switch comes in. It feels like a reinterpretation of that initial idea that people really felt compelled by. The city says, we'll wait and see. And it's only one of the ways that we're going to, you know, shift away from car-oriented planning. But if we basically say 15 minutes is all good, if you can get there by car, I don't see how anything changes. Well, speaking of nothing ever changing, let's talk about politics and politicians. It's the municipal rundown. And we'll start the municipal politics rundown with some federal politics because, you know, I make the rules and I break the rules. Uh, This (laughs) week in Mill Woods, I did not have former mayor and mayoral candidate endorse competing Mill Woods candidates on my bingo card, but it happened this week. Mayor Don Iveson endorsed Ben Henderson, who's running for the Liberals in Millwoods, while at the same time, Mike Nickel, who's running for mayor in Edmonton, endorsed Tim Upple, who lives in Ottawa, but is running in Millwoods for the Conservatives. Yeah, kind of in response, right? So here's the mayor, Don Iveson, who is not running again. 
does not have to work with whoever is elected in this riding because he won't be the mayor, endorsing someone like Henderson, who he's worked closely with over the last number of years. And then in response to that, Mike Nichol, quoting uh, something from our podcast, actually, where we interviewed Ben Henderson. Let's interrupt this to say, Mike Nichol, we know you listen to the podcast. I get it. Some have accused me of being a narcissist. So you and I cut from the same cloth, I suppose. When you quote us in your election memes, which you are absolutely enfranchised to do, don't put local podcast. It's like local man on the little description on the TV, right? Just say it's speaking municipally hosted by this guy who I blocked because he posted a mean meme about me on the internet. Like that's that's the byline, okay? And if you don't put that as the byline, I'm going to send another letter to your lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Continue, Mac. All right. So in response, Mike Nickel did this. He quoted Ben Henderson and then he said he was endorsing Apple. And you might look at that and say, well, so what? I was in endorse Henderson. But the difference is that if Nickel gets elected as mayor, he would have to work with whoever wins that riding. Like there's a reason that typically you wouldn't endorse somebody for an office that you're going to have to work with. Whenever you ask somebody like Mayor Iveson what he thinks about whoever won the, you know, the, the seat in the provincial election, he'll say, well, it doesn't matter because I have to work with whoever is elected. Uh, so it's a bit of a strange thing for Nickel to just use that as an opportunity to try to dig in at his favorite person, which is, of course, not you, Troy, sorry, but Mayor Iveson. And the best example of Iveson's behavior there is 2016 when donald trump won the u.s election everyone else was taking pot shots saying this is catastrophic this is the end of the world and don Iveson said i gotta work with the guy i'm looking forward to doing so while we're on the mike nickel train you know he's running for an election we gotta talk about him a little bit and it's a little bit easier to talk about him when he actually shows up to things which is a rarity but this week it happened he was at a candidate forum, engaging with the public and his competition? Am I reading that right? Yeah, this was really surprising to me. There was a panel on our forum on Tuesday, September 14th, about the problems of Chinatown, a term coined by the evening's moderator, and that is former Mayor Bill Smith, who had some really interesting things to say. He essentially suggested that whoever is elected mayor needs to figure out how to get rid of or deal with the supervised injection sites. He called the one in close proximity to the community a really big mistake. I guess I can just say I'm happy that Bill Smith is no longer our mayor. But anyway, <laughs> to your point, Mike Nickel actually turned up to this forum. So he, Nickel, Oshry, Watson, Comrie, Cruchelle, and Diana Steele all attended and each was asked individually about how they, not if, but how they would remove the injection sites. And Mike Nichol actually didn't address the question, didn't answer it. <laughs> but at least he was there. At least he was there. Are we going to speculate if he only showed up because this clearly had a, a bias towards his preferred policies? Ah. I won't speculate. I'll let the listener do that by implication. Mm. But I suppose we will see in the uh, coming remaining month um, if he's going to show up to any of the other forums. Uh, my bets would be on no, um, but only time will tell. Um, mayoral candidate Diana Steele, who has aspirations to be an also-ran in this election, chatted with Global News about feeling excluded because she uh, wasn't invited to some of the private debates. I don't know if my framing of this topic indicated some of my opinions on the matter, but I think back to 2017, and honestly, 2017 would have been better if only Don Iveson 
had been invited to the debates. <laughs> Absolutely, unequivocally, that is that is true. Um, and also, was, like, there are so many. Do, do you not feel Troy? Like, there are so many mayoral forums happening. I feel like every time I open up a social media site, there's another one. If I'm being honest, I haven't watched the majority of them. These forums are probably not really valuable anymore no. because I follow the news and I'm not watching these forums. So who are these really benefiting? The very small number of people that show up to each one, I guess. But yeah. The last mayoral candidate I want to mention is Cheryl Watson, who, sure, she said lots of things this week, and I've seen a couple big Cheryl Watson signs go up. So the campaign is definitely running. But her Twitter account has some questionable running because uh, in the past week, she tweeted in a thread about the vaccine issue. Her words, not mine. Mm -hmm. She said in a tweet, quote, I am not for mandatory vaccines. As a woman, I'm pro-choice in all matters, end quote. I wasn't the only one who connected on Twitter that that's a really problematic take. Yeah, I mean, you can be pro-vaccine, pro-proof of vaccination, like she said, but then to equate that with pro-choice, which is really not the same thing, it's not a good look. The tweet, which was put up on September 9th, and as of September 16th, has six likes and 49, quote, tweets, is effectively ratioed <laughs> down to the bottom. 80 replies, 80 replies to that one tweet. In a typical sterling excellently social media managed campaign she didn't um apologize or remove the tweet she instead left it up for local podcasts to pull up at a future date and immortalize in podcast form so sterling work uh cheryl watson social media team you got this uh, keep it going until election day you'll nail it <laughs> was, was this segment too mean mac i felt <laughs> i felt like i went a little mean there i mean to be fair Maybe they just think that, well, somebody screenshotted this. What is the point of deleting it? I often think that, actually. Like, why delete it? Everybody already knows you said it. It's already there. You might as well leave it there, right? And I mean, they tried to delete Hinshaw's uh, conversation with doctors from YouTube by making the video private. And what happened? People just uploaded a new copy. So, you right. Know. Screenshotted tweet thread all about that. I saw that, too. Like, it's there. Once it's up, it's up, right? screenshot or it didn't happen. This podcast doesn't have that problem because in order for someone to screenshot everything that happens, you need to have a stronger listener base. And this is where we ask you, dear listener, to tell your friends to subscribe to Speaking Municipally. It would make our hearts so full. That way, when we screw up, you guys have the clips to throw back <laughs> in our face. You can mock us, but only if you convince everyone to subscribe. Once we get those 6,000 listeners to every episode, that's the point where nothing we say ever goes away and we live in perpetual fear of misspeaking. So let's get to that point, you and I together. I like it. Let's do it. Uh, let's also talk about the Well Endowed podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, and it's produced by Lisa Pruden. And it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, including where you are subscribing and telling your friends to subscribe to this one. That's Spotify. That's Google Play. That's iTunes. Probably Stitcher. Maybe TuneIn Radio. Is that still a thing? I don't know. Go find out and click the subscribe button there. Um, that's all. I'm done shilling. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.